I want to talk to you about the ministry and about the circles of ministry. What I hope to accomplish today is to give you a vision of how you should be thinking about doing the Lord's work. I can't tell you the specifics about everything God wants you to do, but I know from Scripture the scope of what He wants us to be after. And uh, if I didn't ask you to turn to Matthew 28, that's where we're going to start. And uh, try to understand the scope of what God wants us to do. Matthew 28, a couple of familiar verses here, starting in verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore... And make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The ministry of Christ is making disciples. Now, we could also enlarge that just a bit by saying the broad ministry that God wants us to be involved in is bringing honor to God. He wants us to glorify Him in the way that we live and in the things that we do. But a major part of that bringing glory to Him is making disciples through the body of Christ and this local expression of that body of Christ. And I think the best definition of a disciple is in verse 20 here. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. You want to ask what a disciple of Christ is. It's a person who follows Christ. That is, he obeys the instruction of Christ. He walks in the way that Christ walked. When Christ first started with the twelve who, who we came to call the apostles, they were uh, he'd been around. and It wasn't just a flat-out walking up and calling them to ministry. He'd been around and been teaching. But there came a day when he went to them and he said, if you follow me, I will make you to be fishers of men. And they put their nets down and started following him. If you want to know whether or not you're a disciple, ask yourself, am I following where Christ is walking? If I'm walking in a different direction, I might call myself a Christian, but I am not a disciple. A disciple is a person who obeys Christ, who follows Christ. And of course, if we were to say, what has he commanded? Uh, we could hold up uh, half of our Bible, the New Testament, and say he's commanded all of that. Now, that's not to say the Old Testament doesn't have great value to us and great instruction about who God is and, and a lot of things about mankind. But what I'm saying in terms of specific instruction, it's here, it's, a, it's here in the New Testament. And so the question to ask ourselves as we begin to evaluate our discipleship is to say, am I obeying Christ to the best of my ability? None of us knows all of God's truth perfectly, but to the best of our ability, are we obeying Christ? A week ago, uh, Sue and I went to the pastors and wives retreat down at Cannon Beach for our Northwest Church Fellowship. And and uh, on the first morning, I was sitting outside of, of the building where we were staying in, and you could see, kind of see the ocean, and, and you could see a creek coming down, and it's sand dunes on both sides, and people walk their dogs out there. And uh, this fellow was walking a dog. I could see the dog over here kind of playing around the grass. The guy was 50 or 75 yards away, and later I realized he had two dogs, and one of them was kind of running along. This one was all over the place, just doing what dogs do sniffing and having a great time and pretty soon I hear laddie 
and the dog really doesn't pay much attention. Laddie! Laddie! When Christ calls, do you answer? If you're a disciple, the answer is yes. Disciples answer the call of God when they hear the call of God. And the primary call of God is right here in the Scripture. We don't need to walk through life going, Oh, I don't know what God wants me to do. Yes, you do. It's right here. And once you have done all of the things in the Scripture, then those few things that are in the wiggle room in between, He will lead you in those as well. I have uh, chosen to summarize the call of God for our ministry like this, and we've adopted this as a bit of a mission statement. Why does this church exist? We exist to help people find peace and purpose through relationship with God. The first part of that, helping people find peace, has to do with salvation. Romans 5 says that once we believe in Christ as our Savior, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. A few years ago, we had a fellow come to church who had had a, a pretty rough year. He was, he was well into retirement. He had a pretty rough year physically. And he came to church, and as we talked, he, he talked all about this physical ordeal and almost a year in the hospital, and he said, I think the Lord has saved me, or has kept me from dying for a reason. And, uh, and I thought, well, yeah, the Lord does everything for a reason, and we'll find out what that is. And in due time, that fella came and said, I want to get baptized. And we talked about what it meant to believe in the Lord, and I said, when did you believe in the Lord? He said, the way you're describing, just recently. He was baptized, and within not too long of a period of time, maybe a year or so, he died. And the Lord did save his physical life for a reason. It was so his spiritual life could be saved. And he went to be with the Lord at peace. That's half of our purpose here. We want people to know peace with God. And there's only one way it's going to happen, through Jesus Christ. And then we want people to know purpose. The purpose part of this, this statement is to talk about the life of meaning, the meaning of life that we have when we're headed for heaven and we're walking with the Lord and we're doing things for the Lord. Those of us who went to Grandview this weekend spent all of our time from Thursday night at dinner time when or at when work was over, we left, and uh, most of us got home late last night, and there will be more time to come. We could say we gave up our whole weekend. Some guys, it cost them vacation time. Some guys, um, I'm sure it cost them money because of the business that they're involved in. And we all paid the price of physical wasting especially us old guys and we're rejoicing in the valuable thing we spent our time on we could have been home could have watched TV could have puttered around the yard could have done something and that wouldn't have been wicked but what we did was extremely purposeful 
And I believe that what Tony is doing is going to result in a very effective ministry to a people group that largely I can't reach. Life can have tremendous purpose if we're living for Christ. Difficulty can have tremendous purpose if we're living for Christ. And we exist to help people come to peace with God and then to know His purpose as they walk through their days. As we do things in the church, we must always have the goal in mind of making disciples. If we're having a garage sale in the parking lot like the young people did a couple of weeks ago, it's got to be right in our mind. Look, the reason we're doing this is to help make disciples. How's that going to happen? Well, some of that money is going to come and help kids go to camp or to go to a teen leadership conference or to have an event. And some of the discipleship will happen while people come and go at the garage sale. And I can't tell you what ministry things happened, but some things happened. But if we don't have the mentality of discipleship, we will miss the opportunity. Everything we do has to be about discipleship. We sent Tara and Ben to Togo, and neither one of them preached a sermon. Ben worked on the electrical system in a new hospital. Tara was a nurse. But they are part of a team winning people to the Lord and making disciples. If we're having a church service, we need to make sure that the things that are part of the church service are about discipleship, not just activity. Everything that we should do is about discipleship. The ministry of Christ is making discipleship. And the ministry of Christ is accomplished by the body of Christ. The body of Christ is not accomplished by just one person. Turn to 1 Corinthians Chapter 3, please. In the Corinthian church, they were having a huge problem with disunity, with disharmony. They had bunched up in groups according to who their favorite preacher was. Some with the Apostle Paul, some with one of the elders in the church. Some people said, I only follow Jesus Christ himself. And because of that, they divided into hateful groups. And the Apostle Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 5. Who is Paul? And who is Apollos? We're just ministers through whom you believed, and the Lord gave to each, and the Lord gave each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. That's one of the most incredible verses in the Bible. We are God's fellow workers. Verse 10, according to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed or pay attention. Be careful how he builds on it. The Apostle Paul said, look, we're a team. We're a team. He said, I laid the foundation. Somebody else came along and put the next bricks on there and, and, and so on. We're a team and we've got to work together. The thing that I want you to understand today, right here, right now, is this. Nobody makes a disciple by himself. Discipleship is a team process 
It's a body of Christ-wide process because no one has all the spiritual gifts. We need what each other can give. And in other parts of the scripture, the Apostle Paul talked about the idea that sometimes we look at certain parts of the body of Christ and go, oh, that's a really important part, and oh, that part is not too important. And that's the wrong way to look at it. He says we all have different gifts, we all have different abilities. God intends for us to work together, as this passage so powerfully states. He gave himself... He himself gave some to be apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. Now where does the work of the ministry really get done? It gets done by all the saints. For the edifying of the body of Christ, speaking the truth in love, we may grow up into all things who, into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, it causes the growth of the body for the edifying or building up of itself in love. We need you. We don't just need you because there's no nursery worker for Awana. We need you because you've been gifted by God to do something. And we need all of those gifts represented. The way that we make disciples here on Sunday morning is like this. Roger and his team of people help people to get parked and get into the church. Mike Anderson and others uh, welcome people, give them a bulletin, which comes from the labor of Catherine in the office and contains the plans made for ministry by many people. People sit in a lovely auditorium that was refurbished by the gift of one of our departed saints and much labor by many people here in the church. We worship in comfort because of a heating system paid for by all of our giving several years ago. We worship together under the leadership of Raul and a team of godly talented musicians. People can hear and people can see because of Mike and Leanna and our tech team. Children are cared for because of caring nursery workers and children's church workers downstairs. We have good communication of God's word because Barb Watson works on it ahead of time and at the last minute when Pastor Dave doesn't give her all the instructions. And we have wonderful servants who prepare and serve snacks so that we can fellowship and minister to one another under the leadership of Penny Ward and her team. And when we leave the building, the building will be secured by various men from week to week so that next week we can come back and this place won't be torn up. Now I could go on like that about Awana or youth group or Sunday school or ladies Bible study and all kinds of things and just enumerate all the people that work together. This is a together kind of ministry. We work together to help one another. And, and some parts are more visible and some are less visible. And at any given moment, one part is more important than another part, but every part is important to the process. We make disciples. Now, that's not to say that we don't go out and plant the seed out there by ourselves and, and, and all of that. I'm not ignoring that. But as a body of Christ, we make disciples. I don't make disciples. We make disciples. Those people who say they don't need the church in order to live for Christ are wrong. They're wrong according to God's word and they're wrong according to their experience because 
We need the part that everybody plays in this process of making a disciple. So how big should our vision be when it comes to making disciples? The ministry of Christ calls us to multiple fields of service. Let's turn back just a few pages to the book of Acts chapter 1. And I hope that uh, for sure the Matthew 28 passage and this passage in Acts, if you don't have them underlined, that you will. If you don't have them memorized, that you will. Because these are prime marching orders for us. When I was in Boardman, Oregon, at a home mission church, um, the church couldn't pay all of our salary and the mission support didn't quite cover what needed to be there, so I would take odd jobs from time to time. A little painting, a little construction. One time, one of my deacons came to me and said, I'm going to be running the potato shed for two weeks in February or whenever it is. If you'd like to work, I'll give you a job. I said, great. So I showed up for work at the potato shed on the first day, and he said, here's your job. He said, the potatoes are going to come in boxes. We're putting them in 25-pound boxes, I believe it was. They're going to come down the conveyor belt, and, and they're going to go onto this scale. And you're going to stand in front of the scale. And uh, if they're too heavy, you take a potato out. If they're too light, you put a potato in. And then you send it on. I said, yes, sir, and that's what I did. That was the whole scope of my job right there. As long as you give me a paycheck, that'll be fine. I want to tell you what the scope of your job is. I really want you to get a hold of this today. Um, look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and all the way to the end of the earth. The ministry of Christ calls us to multiple fields of service, and the first one is right here. You know, there's a little phrase, charity begins at home. I'm not sure if that's the sentiment we're after, because oftentimes that phrase is attached to the thought, we should never give to others before we take care of ourselves, and I don't think that's a godly thought. But I do understand that from the reading of the scripture, the primary place of ministry in the world is, this, is a local church. Not just this one, but other local churches that believe the Bible as well. God may, has made this a microcosm of the whole body of Christ. And this is the primary place we should be doing ministry. Because none of us has all the spiritual gifts... When we come to church, we should be coming in to serve and to be served. Uh, in our society, it's real tempting to think that going to church is like going to the restaurant. I'm going to go in and pay my fee and, and get my whatever I'm after. Thank you. We need to come into church saying, I am a minister. I am gifted of God to serve. Now, sometimes we may serve just a little, and other times we may serve a lot, okay? Um, you know, maybe your particular gift, there's nothing for you to do right during this one hour, but maybe in the next hour there is, or in the previous hour, or some other day of the week. I understand that. But the mentality has to be there. I'm a disciple maker, and I'm coming to church to be discipled and to make disciples, we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, so we can sit around and glory that we're going to heaven. 
No, we're created for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. When God looked down through eternity, he said, you see those six guys? I'm going to have them go to Grandview and help that church out. He prepared good works beforehand. Your salvation is for the purpose of bringing glory to God by living in a certain way. And a major part of that is making disciples. And in Acts 1.8, God breaks down the ministry beyond our local body into four categories. And the first of them is right here. It's Jerusalem. And I've I've, I've interpreted Jerusalem to be Western Whatcom County, and I'll tell you why. Um, wh- when, when God gave this truth to the disciples, they were in Jerusalem. That was where they were at. That was where the first church was begun. And so he told them, look, number one, you got a job right here in your hometown. Now, I could have just put the word Ferndale on that, but we have people here today from from Ferndale and uh, Linden and Bellingham and Custer and... and uh, way into the outermost parts of Laurel or wherever they're from. And really, our church reaches kind of along this corridor from about the, you know, the middle or the south end of Bellingham, you know, more or less up to Blaine. That's a, people don't seem to mind driving that distance. So when we think of our primary field of reaching people for the Lord, we should be thinking that far. That's our Jerusalem. And we should be doing what we can. Now, we, we can't reach the people in South Bellingham the way we can right here. We've had a, 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 an October 31st uh, event the last couple of years in an attempt to connect with our community. That's just right here, unless somebody drives up from Bellingham. You understand. So we, we have a primary influence here, but we need to have a reach that is that broad. You know, God could have stuck with the language of Matthew 28, 19, when he just says, go into all the world. But here in Acts 1, 8, he breaks it down. I don't know if that's because we're so thick-headed or he just wanted to make sure we really got the message. And so we start with, we start with Jerusalem. And we, what, is, what is the primary way that that ministry happens? In, in many ways, that happens just through us personally. The Thessalonians, Paul wrote this, and and Pastor Ralph preached on it last week, did a great job of of bringing our attention to it. The Thessalonians got saved, and they became followers of Paul and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, with the result that they became examples to all the people in their state and in their region For from you the word of the Lord sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. You know, that's one of the most challenging passages of Scripture I can imagine. To stop and say to ourselves, what's our reputation? What's the impact we have in western Whatcom County? I'll tell you where we made an impact in the last couple of days that I didn't even expect. As I was leaving, I I talked with Tony a little bit, and he said, you know, uh, I I don't know if it's a cultural difference or if it has to do with Tony, but people walk down the street and they just talk and whatever, and he kind of knows people around, and they're just, you know, they're just coming down commenting on what's going on, and they and he they asked what's going on, and and he told them what we're doing, and they said, wow, you mean. 
I mean, you have other churches that really care for you? They help you out? Boy, that, that made me feel awfully humble because we should have been doing this years ago, you know. But I thought, wow, there's an impact I never thought of. We go, over to, we go over to help the church, and the result is a witness in the community. What a wonderful thing. That should be happening here, too. When people talk about our church, there ought to be good things being said. And, and it comes from our personal lives, and it also comes from our corporate life and the things that we do. Number two, he said, you're going to be a witness to me in Jerusalem and also in Judea. Judea would have been the area around Jerusalem. Loosely equivalent for them to a county or maybe a region. Now you have to remember in that day, I mean, if you go, if you go to the map and you measure Israel, it's only like 120 miles long. You know, 120 miles to us, we'll go that far to buy a pair of shoes, you know, to, the big mall in Alderwood or whatever, you know, we don't think much about that often. But for them, that distance was a huge difference because they traveled on foot. And so we can't quite equate it in terms of geography, but we can. the mentality they would have had is, well, Jerusalem is here, my town, and then the outer regions beyond that. And so I've termed that outer region the Northwest. Because we have sort of an identity in the Northwest, you know, Washington, Oregon, Idaho, and and our church fellowship is as, is as broad as those three states. And so we need to have a thought about this. We say, this is, this is our corner of the country. People from New York aren't going to come here and reach people for the Lord. And we aren't going to go to New York and reach people. We might as well go to Africa. If we're going to go that far away, it's only a little farther to get on the plane the rest of the way. You know, I mean, we have those mentalities. And so our area, our Judea, God is telling us we have a primary responsibility to reach the people around us. The people in New York ought to reach the people in New York and California for California. And I think the only other place we should add to this is Hawaii. <laughs> Can I get a witness on that? <laughs> so Washington, Oregon, Idaho, and Hawaii. <laughs> We have a regional church fellowship in the Northwest with about 90 churches. Uh, this fellowship also includes what, an organization called the Northwest Baptist Home Mission. One of the functions of that mission is to help fund church buildings, not by giving, but by loaning. And, and we actually loan money together like a savings and loan. And we uh, the loan for our, um, our elevator and that addition out there is with the Northwest Baptist Home Mission. It's hard for churches to borrow money because of a, a lot of uh, technicalities and, and cultural awarenesses. Banks don't want to foreclose on a church. So the only way they can guarantee that won't happen is they don't loan you money. Or they charge you an arm and a leg to get it. And so that's one of the functions. But also we, we directly plant churches. Right now we've got uh, two Hispanic churches and one English church. The English church is down at Cathlamet. And I, know, I think the rest of our churches have graduated recently into self-support status. But that's one of the primary ways that we try to reach out is as a group. Uh, we can't do everything that church in Grandview needs. In fact, just a couple of weeks ago, there was a church from Alaska that came down, and somehow there's a personal connection between people there and Tony. 
and they paid to have windows put in the, the parsonage, and then they went into the attic and under the house and insulated and so on. So here's a church in Alaska that's making an investment. I know there's a church in Port Orchard that's making an investment in that ministry, an, an ongoing investment. We're making an investment there. We need to have an awareness and a drive to say we should always be doing something in the Northwest beyond our region, whether it's with Hispanics or, or English or whatever it might be. We need to have that kind of mentality. We call that loosely home missions. Okay, if, if you don't have that term in your vocabulary, you might stick it in. Home missions is when we're planting a church somewhere else. Okay, now the next the next circle is a circle called Samaria. Now, if you know your Bible history, you know that the Samaritans are descendants of, of Jewish people back in the time of the exile. When the, when the people of Israel were taken off to Babylon, there were some folks still in that area, and they mixed with other Gentile folks, intermarried, and then their descendants were the people who lived in Samaria. Because of that intermarriage, the Jewish people hated them, and they didn't get along. And so it's not by accident that God specifically told those folks gathered in the first church, you have a responsibility to reach Samaria. If he had not told them that, they would have basically said, they can just go to hell. And I know that sounds really extreme, but that's how they thought. Okay, Just like we, we, we think about pastors in Iraq that don't like each other because they're from a different background. They're worshiping the same Jesus and they hate each other. We think, how can that be? Okay, Well, people get into those kind of thought patterns. And so God said, you need to reach cross-culturally. You need to reach out of your comfort zone into a people group with whom you don't have a lot in common, maybe people who you don't like, maybe people with a different language. Now, Lord willing, Lord willing... I can only speak for myself. Lord willing, we don't have prejudicial issues to conquer when it comes to going cross-culturally. From my knowledge of the most of our congregation, we don't have a problem with that. It's not about us saying, well, I really don't like those people, but I'm going to go over there and minister to them. No, it's not about that. But it is about us saying, you know, my culture is this way, my language is this way, their culture and language is different. How can I bridge that gap? The wrong answer is to say, I'm going to do nothing because I can't do anything. The right answer is to say, God, how can we do something? One of the groups that, that I'm burdened for is the Native Americans here in this county. That, that would be a cross-cultural ministry. I don't know how to reach them, but I have a feeling that a fellow named Jesse Looper, who's serving the First Nations in Canada, is developing a good way to do it. He himself is one quarter... Some, no, it's an Indian tribe from New York somewhere. I, I'd never heard of it before. But he's part Indian, and that has totally given him an open door up there. And, and, and they're working in an area with 12 different uh, tribal reserves, and I'm thinking maybe someday when he gets... He gets a little more experience. Maybe he'll be able to come down here or send somebody down here. But we need to be thinking, how can we reach the Lummies? Uh, he is working on, uh, or and the Nooksacks or whoever for that matter. Cross-cultural. How can we reach Hispanic people? Our fellowship came to this crossroad a number of years ago. We said, 
the Hispanic population is growing tremendously in our state. How can we reach them? And, and the first answer, <laughs> the first answer to the question was, well, when somebody comes along who can reach them, then we'll get behind that. Can't we be a little more purposeful than that? And so in time, we thought, you know, here's a missionary to South America. He's fluent in Spanish, and he's about to retire. He's from the eastern Washington. Could we get him to come home and stay on status as a missionary with ABWE and then spearhead our effort to reach Hispanics in the Northwest? So he did that. And he actually brought two fellows that he had discipled in Peru up here to pastor churches. One of them is in Quincy, one of them is in Connell. And then in time, um, we met uh, Tony Sanchez, uh, who was, you know, came with a whole different path. And, and so we are purposefully investing money and time and effort in reaching cross-culturally. Every missionary who goes to what we call a foreign country is a cross-cultural missionary. They have to learn a different language, most of the time a different culture and so on. God has given us a mandate to reach outside. And that's the last circle that God has given us. Foreign countries, the uttermost parts of the earth. You know, wherever it is that you think is really far away. We're really blessed to have retired missionaries here in our church. Um, Iola, raise your hand in case somebody doesn't know. Iola was a missionary in Ghana, West Africa. And right next to her is Lillian, who was a missionary in Japan. Raise your hand, Lillian. Her and her husband. Her husband's with the Lord now, and so is Iola's. And uh, we have the Hivelys over here who served in Papua. That's the uttermost part of the earth, if there ever was an uttermost part. I mean, literally gone, and, and really where Iola was as well, just unreached tribes, you know. And am I forgetting somebody? Probably am. Pastor Ralph and Margie aren't here with us today. They went to Brazil to tribes of, of Indians out, out in the boondocks. Wonderful thing. Years ago, three of these missionaries, this was their home church, uh, the Lancasters, uh, the Boyers and um, and the Polsons. This was their home church. We haven't sent out, out any full-time missionaries for a long time. Uh, but about 20% of our giving goes to foreign missions, uh, most, mostly to foreign missions. We've sent some people out short-term. It's been a joy for Sue and I to go to various places in the world and to serve with our missionaries. But we need to be thinking, what can we do? Who will God call how can we be part of it? We're going to have next month, month of October, uh, we used, our missionary conference used to be a week long, and then that wasn't quite long enough, so we made it two weeks, and now it's going to be about four weeks long. And, and instead of having a whole bunch of missionaries here together, we're going to have a lot of missionaries at different times. And uh, we'll get that program out to you uh, this week so you can start planning. But uh, what a great thing to, to see what God is doing and to say, how can I... Be part of it. God wants us to be prayerfully open. Our participation in the ministry of Christ must be prayerfully planned. Now, here's the goal of this sermon today. I'll be real plain. I won't be anything fancy. I, I hope you get those circles in your mind and in your heart and in your prayer life. I don't know exactly how God wants every individual here to be involved. I don't know exactly what everything God wants our church to do. 
It was obvious to me through a series of circumstances when this opportunity came along at Grandview, I said, that's what the Lord wants us to do. And I would judge by the effectiveness by which he's helped this project to go along that it was his will. And there will be other things like that. You know, when we sent Tara and Ben out in May over to Togo, uh, both from inside the church and outside, we raised $10,000 in a month to send them over there. What a, what a tremendous thing. But our participation must be prayerfully planned. God doesn't present this as a buffet from which we choose that which we like. He presents it as a full curriculum that he wants us to participate in as we can. We can't all do the same thing as individuals. Our church may, maybe can't do the same thing as, as some large church. I, I know some large churches that support missionaries completely. And that's their missionary. And, and, and Lord bless them, that's a wonderful thing. I wish we could do that. But let me just give you a few things for you to think about. Number one, and this is not the least of what you can do. This is the beginning of what can do, what you can do. Your prayers can save people anywhere. Your prayers can save people anywhere. We put missionary prayer letters out here on the bulletin board. I know there's some there today. Now with email, you can, you can get their email address, send it to them and say, add me to your list, and you'll get that letter straight to your box as soon as it's fresh. And you can pray and say, God, let, help, you know, help these things to happen. Help people get saved, whatever it is that is their prayer concern. You can give something to the work of the Lord. In Jason, Jason Nightingale's most recent email, he was in Africa doing some ministry, and at the end of it, they came up and gave him a live chicken. And Jason's the kind of guy who will take anything and put it into the Lord's service, but he wasn't quite sure what to do. He didn't, he didn't want to give it back because that would be an offense, like, oh, I don't want your chicken, you know, or whatever. What do I do? And he said, you know what, I, I can't take it on the plane with me, but here's some, here's some national evangelists. I'll give it to them, and they can have a good meal tonight, you know. These people gave what they had. It was a humble gift. You can give something to the work of the Lord. You may not be able to give as much as the person sitting next to you. It doesn't matter. What I want to challenge you to is to be praying and saying, God, what could I give? Maybe if your heart was set to give, the Lord would give you some resources and you go, wow, I've got some resources. I can give it to the Lord's work now. I knew of a, of a man who who put out a challenge to some of his people in his church, to the men that he discipled in particular, he said, do you have a dollar goal that you want to give to the Lord's work? For him personally, he said, I've set a goal of giving $100,000 to the Lord's work. In other words, over years, over time, I want to give 100000 Now, there's nothing spectacular about that goal. I'm just saying, he, he, I thought, what a, what a different idea to make a long-term goal for giving. I never thought of that before. There's all kinds of ways you can give. You might have a job that when you go to work every day, it's not that glamorous. Maybe it's a little monotonous or a little tedious. But I tell you what, when you come in this building and when you get involved in God's service, you can be a world changer, a life changer. You might be an average student who never got a scholarship, but you can carry the message of Christ and save people from hell. 
Do you have any goals for ministry? Do you have any desires? Have you ever, you know, maybe a missionary will come in, in October and you think, man, I'd like to serve with them. Short-term, long-term, mid-term. Write that down and pray about it. Say, God, would you have me to do this? We have to come to God with open palms and say, God, I want to do whatever you want. But God, that looks exciting. I'd love to do that. Do you have a goal for financially supporting the ministry? Do you have a prayer plan for ministry, for praying for the people in this church? We pass out prayer sheets for praying for missionaries. Are you participating as you can here and now? You know how missionaries get to be missionaries? They serve the Lord in their church as they can all the time. Are you open to God's call of any kind. You know what was one of the biggest blessings in, the, in going to Grandview for me is that a few weeks ago when Carl said, hey, if you're interested in going to do this ministry, we're going to have a meeting. A whole bunch of guys came and, and showed up. And, and a bunch of guys said, we'll be there. And they went. That's, that's listening to say, you know, if God calls, I'm going to answer. And I know we can't all answer every call. I understand that. But the question is, are you open to whatever call God might give you? Did you take note of the news this week that the Federal Reserve is going to buy $400 million worth of longer-term, higher-interest treasury bills and convert them into lower-interest bonds in an effort to spur low-cost borrowing? You think our economy is going to turn around on that no, on that news? What they're going to do, one, one pocket of the government is going to try to bail out the other pocket so that you will all start spending money. Are you got your checkbook out? You're ready to go? No. All of us feel a little bit insecure about finances, about investments, about government. You know, if you're getting a check from the government, you're wondering if it's still going to come. I've got good news for you. There's a place where you can invest not just your money, but your life. And it brings a guaranteed payout now and later. It's the ministry of Christ. Heavenly Father, help us to be involved in your work. Help us to do what you want us to do. Help us to listen for your call. Help us to say yes, especially when we're scared of the sacrifice. And Father, when we say yes, will you please come behind and encourage our faith by meeting the need, by opening the door, by leading us along, so that we might grow stronger in you and we might do more in you as you call us to it day by day. Give us your blessing and your challenge today. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.